Hi, I'm Philippe. I'm Justine. And this is the Boards Network Podcast. This show is an open-ended exploration of the people and practices behind the most effective boards of directors. Private companies rule a big part of the world around us, and boards dictate their strategy and decisions. We believe that by changing boards, we can change the world. Today, we have Anargia Vardana, who is a partner at Mavron, a consumer-only venture capital fund. She graduated from Stanford University and served in various roles at Google, as well as in product and operations roles at several startups. Since joining Mavron, she has invested in a number of companies, including Mass, CoStar, Illumix, Imperfect Produce, Two Chairs, and others. She was named to the Forbes 30 Under 30 in 2017 and is an active member of AllRays. Anargia is passionate about diversity in tech and considers it a lifelong mission to get more women involved in technology and to increase diversity in both thought and practice in the field. In her spare time, Anargia trains for marathons and performs as an Indian classical dancer. We are really excited to have Anargya here today to give us her insight on how to be a first-time board member and how to make the transition from board observer to full board director. Anargya, thank you so much for generously spending some time to talk about boards with us today. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. One thing we wanted to discuss with you is Mass was your first board seat, right? Mass was my first board director seat, and I had done a number of board observer seats prior to that. And one of the great things about Mavron as a firm is that it's a really good partnership where people are invested in your success, especially as a junior person, wanting to make sure you're learning, growing, partnering up with the other partners to see how they work and they function on a board. So I actually joined my first board as an observer in January of 2016. So that was about three, four months after I joined Mavron. And I joined as a board observer on the Booster Fuels team along with my partner, David Wu, who has the director seat there. But Mass, yes, it was my first board director seat, the, the first time I was taking that official voting role on the board. And then similar to how I was able to be an observer on some other boards, we typically tend to tag team on boards. And so uh, for Mass, my partner, Jason, joined me as an observer on that. Can you tell us a bit about the difference between being a board observer and being a full board director? So legally... The observer doesn't have voting rights and they're more, it's often written into the term sheet and the, and the documents that you have an observer seat. Like we will request an observer seat on behalf of Mavron, but there's no voting rights. And of course, the moving forward of the company and the board meeting is, is, is not necessary, necessarily dependent on the observer by any means. So the director has that official voting seat. And the expectations, of course, can be different, and that can depend on the company. It can depend on the venture capital firm. You know, I've been lucky enough to be on boards as an observer uh, from when I was, you know, senior associate to principal, and, and now I'm a partner. But had the opportunity to really have my voice be heard, both by my partner, both by the other people around the board, as well as the founder and the other other um, executives or uh, co-founders of the team. And so my observer role has been pretty hands-on, pretty involved, pretty in-depth with understanding the business and the needs of the business. Coming back to expectations for observers, what is typically the expectations of management teams and how can you go the extra mile to help them as an observer? The interesting thing is that technically the company, so the management team has to agree to give you that board observer role. And so the relationship and your potential to be an observer, that starts earlier on than 
you know, when you make the investment. So typically it will start in the diligence process. And you maybe as a junior person, maybe involved in the diligence process, you may have sourced the company, for example, you are getting to know the CEO and the founding team, you're playing a deep and important role in helping the firm come to a decision as to whether or not they want to make the investment. And so hopefully the CEO and the co-founders have a relationship with you and an understanding of who you are, and they actively say, or at least agree to have you as an observer and have that written into the docs. And the responsibility or expectations, again, it really varies, but how I approach it is, you know, as as a fiduciary of of Maveron and as someone who is on the board of this company, it's my responsibility to, to be prepared to show up and to support the company in whatever their needs are. And sometimes the ways in which I can support are similar to the ways in which the partner whose point on that company can support, but sometimes they're wildly different, especially when I was more junior, uh, they were very different and I could help in anything from surfacing candidates for the company to hire to working on very specific projects for the company, whether that's considering a new demographic to launch or a new market to launch or helping them think through uh, some kind of product strategy because I was formerly a product manager and have a little bit of lasting experience from that past life. But I really view it as an opportunity to both build my skill set and to support Maveron's portfolio in ensuring that we're being really good managers of our companies. It seems like you can be very useful as an observer. Does everybody agree? And where do you draw the line between being helpful and overstepping your role as an observer? I think a lot of it is you pay close attention to the partner who's who's the director on that board and kind of follow their lead. I would certainly hope that you're catching up with that person regularly in advance and kind of getting a sense of what is the vibe of this board meeting? What are the goals that we're trying to accomplish? And where do you think I can be helpful in making sure that that conversation continues to evolve and stay current? And a lot of it is really sensing the ethos and the sentiment in the room. So for example, I'm on a board where I think there's 11 people and I'm an observer and it's a really big board. And it didn't used to be that big, but as it's gotten bigger, um, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm respecting my boundaries as an observer and listening more than speaking. But if there's something very, very specific that I think I can offer a unique perspective, I'll speak up. But I think a lot of times when you get a board, especially a bigger board, there can be a tendency for everybody to just agree with each other or piggyback off of each other. And there's not a lot of new information or new insight being created. And especially as an observer, I don't want to add to that noise and to that volume. So I want to take a step back and just listen. And if there's something very unique, I can say, which many times there is, because in many instances, I am the only woman on the board or one of very few women on the board. And as we are investors in consumer businesses, consumers consumer spend, a lot of consumer spend is controlled by women. So I think I can offer a unique perspective, not saying I can speak for all women, but I think I can offer some kind of empathetic insight into one part of our demo. And so I will speak up in, in some instances like that, but oftentimes it's, it's just listening, being patient and seeing where you can add value. And then of course, if the board is, is smaller, I'm on another board where it's just the four of us. And I feel like I play a very key role on that board and there isn't often, except for the voting, of course, a deep distinction between what a director would say and advise and what I may say and advise. We really tag team and work really well off of each other and support the company. 
Going back to Mass, which we started chatting a little bit about, can you tell us a bit more about the team and the company and how you made the leap to sitting on your first board? And also, what about Mass in particular gave you the conviction that this would be the first board that you would sit on as a director? I love that you asked that question because it's a pretty big decision or it felt like a monumental decision to not only invest in in a company, which investing in any company should be a very thoughtful, deliberate decision, but to also put that on my badge as my first board director seat. So Mass's founders, Elizabeth and Lizzie, were two of the first product hires at Jet.com. And prior to that, they'd also been product leaders, product managers in their career. And having been a former product manager myself, I felt like there was a deep connection between the three of us in terms of the way we thought and the way we approached a product-heavy business. And Mass is a recommendation app where there's deep trust, no ads, nothing sponsored. It's a place where people can go and share recommendations with each other across a wide variety of categories, everything from baby, beauty, wellness, fashion, and more. And I saw that Elizabeth and Lizzie had this perfect intersection of commerce and uh, understanding of what the consumer wanted. So their experience at Jet.com and seeing how quickly Jet grew gave them this deep expertise in commerce. And that was everything from the nitty gritty of understanding massive SKU sets and how to surface them and how to do SEO and how to make sure customers have a good conversion experience through the funnel um, you know, to understanding more strategically how these like big platforms that are selling tons of products work. Um, and then on the on the other side, you know, they launched Mass with the initial wedge of the millennial mom, and both of them are millennial moms and have experienced that struggle and pain and, and challenge, but also joy of figuring out the right products for your child and for your family. And so they blended those two worlds perfectly, and I felt like they had very strong product founder fit, and that the three of us had very strong kind of investor founder fit, and. I felt confident partnering with them as leaders who could really experiment, learn, make changes, and grow, and that I could complement them nicely with some of my product background, but more so bring um, the investor lens, more so bring the growth lens, and support them in thinking about you know how do we take this amazing behavior that exists very fragmented across a number of different platforms, be that Facebook or other social platforms and bring it all onto this trusted, authentic app and continue to support them in that journey. In a board that's much leaner than the 11 person board you had talked about earlier, how does the dynamic change when the co-founders are half of the room? The 11 person board and mass are at very different stages in terms of business. So the 11 person board is a series C company and is just in a very different evolution of what the company is going through. The problems are different, the wins are different, and the needs are different. And so I would say that the dynamic is not different because of the size of the board or the number of company members versus non-company members. It's more different just because the stages of the company are very different and the needs are very different. And because of that, the kinds of things we talk about and the areas in which we dig into look different um, you know, but but maybe not so different, but maybe more like earlier stages of, of where the 11 person company is. Do you remember the day you had your first official board meeting? Was it intimidating going into it? I do remember the day I had my first official board meeting and it was just Elizabeth, Lizzie and me for that board meeting. And 
I think I would have been more intimidated if I hadn't been a board observer already for a few years. I had been in board meetings. I kind of, you know, saw how my partners managed those and learned so much from them. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. So it wasn't, it wasn't intimidating. Um, it did feel special though. And I think, you know, in venture capital, it takes a long time, as you both know, to know if you're any good at this business, you may make an investment today and let's see what happens in seven years or so. And so different milestones in the career can feel very important, monumental and special. And so this milestone felt special to me. And I wanted to take that moment to really appreciate that and see that this was a different stage in my venture capital career. So which learnings from your partners at Mavron did you think were most helpful when you started acting as a board director? Being extremely prepared, having read the board material, read any other articles or pieces of homework the founders provide in advance, being up to date on the business and showing up prepared. That's something that my partners really embody and I've learned through my experience working with them. After that, listening and being thoughtful and appreciating that at the end of the day, as the VC, you have glimpses into the company here and there, but you're not in the weeds every day grinding on the company. And and that has both its advantages and disadvantages and knowing how to exist in that board meeting and behave in that board meeting based on that. So for example, since you're not in the day-to-day, you can perhaps take a big picture view and see things that the founders are not seeing because they're in the weeds every day. At the same time, you're not in it every day. And so I think sometimes it can rub founders the wrong way if board members are like, well, have you thought of this? Have you looked at this? What about this? And acting like you know better, even though you're not digging into the business and building it on a day-to-day basis. So really balancing that and being respectful of that. Um, And I would say the last uh, key lesson I've learned from my partners as a board observer is that uh, a, a relationship with a founder is not just that board meeting. It's all the touch points before, it's all the touch points after. And sometimes as an observer, you may not see those touch points. You may, you know, show up and maybe have a few interactions through the quarter, but the main interaction is the board meeting. But my partners have been great about coaching me and showing me that they're constantly interacting with the company. So they're up to speed. And because of that, you know, knowing that there is often a right place, a right time and a right setting to share things, especially hard things. And so having the EQ to understand how to both support founders, but also talk to them about hard things and when is the right moment to do that. And sometimes in a board with a lot of other people is not the right moment to do that. Sometimes it is, but it's not always. And I think that's an evolving learning. But again, being an observer and being with my partners on other boards has allowed me to to learn that over time. So when is the right moment to have these tough conversations then? It depends. But sometimes those tough conversations are done better privately one-on-one. And that may be before the meeting or after the board meeting. But it could just be me and the CEO in a room talking through why we didn't hit numbers or you know why we haven't been able to make a certain hire and kind of beating them over the head with that 
in the board meeting may not be the best setting to really allow for an open and honest conversation and may lead to more you know, defensiveness or closed off nature. And it may not be the best way to continue to earn the trust and the respect of the founder. Because at the end of the day, if we boil all of this down, you know, we're investing in businesses. Yes, but we're investing in people fundamentally. And that trust and the mutual respect and the relationship between the investor and the co-founders, the executive team and beyond is, is so sacred and so critical that ensuring that that is maintained throughout the ups and downs, because there's certainly going to be ups and downs and there are certainly going to be tough conversations and trying to maintain that trust and respect, I think is super, super critical. I'd like to talk about another of your hats than your VC hat. I know that you're sitting on some nonprofit boards, including NextGen Partner. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's their mission and how you're working with them? So NextGen is a professional organization and the goal of NextGen is to be a organization that supports venture capital professionals before they really reach that partner, general partner level. So it's the next gen of venture capital partners is next gen. And we do that through a variety of ways, everything from very like academic or professionally oriented sessions. We do term sheet 101. There's sessions around understanding how to invest in specific categories or best practices around such certain categories, academic things around how to be a better board member. So a lot of these more professionally focused things, but also a ton of social events from, you know, small dinners to larger happy hours, to holiday parties, to boat trips and things like that. And the organization is, is quite large. Um, it's been around for a number of years. And uh, my, my, my um, co-chair of the board is my friend, Jocelyn Kinsey, who's at DFJ Growth. And we kind of work together to help run this organization with a number of other board members as well. But it's several thousand people on our mailing list now and continues to grow as more people enter venture. Are there other forms of skin in the game than financial exposure that keep people aligned in a nonprofit? Is reputation important for people and what really drives them to perform? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's dead on, which is reputation is important and venture capital is a pretty small industry relative to many others. And, you know, we all work together and collaborate together all the time on, be that on deals, on boards, on events and, and whatever else. So I think you build your personal brand in many, many, many different aspects of your career and life. And some of those kind of inter interweave. And so certainly, you know, your reputation as a hard worker, as a leader, as someone who is, you know, um, able to get things done, is kind and ethical in, in how they treat people, all of those things, if, if valuable to your personal brand, are things that you should uphold in a nonprofit board, uh, board setting as well. Um, but I think also people understand that, you know, the hours you're going to spend on this, on, on one board may be very different from how you, the, the level of time and effort you're able to give to another board. Um, and, and again, like I can't speak for all nonprofit boards. I have friends and colleagues who are on nonprofit boards for like massive endowments or the philanthropic arm of a massive hospital system that raises money to help with children's cancer research or whatever it may be. And I'm sure that the level of responsibility of that is very different from a more 
social organization or something like that. So I, I think it, it, it greatly varies. And, and I, I don't have the experience of being on, let's say like a university board as a, as a nonprofit uh, service that I provide or something like that. Switching gears a bit, I know you're a very active member of the All Rays community and diversity is very important to you. We we all know that diversity is an issue on many boards today. How do you think we can start to alleviate this problem? Do you think it's through training or given that boards today are often by referral or through investments, how, how can we bring more diversity into the boardroom? Well, you answered part of the question yourself, I think, which is, Oftentimes, board seats are through whoever invested, and having more women check writers and more diverse check writers who are investing and taking that board seat at typically the the first real, real board is formed at the Series A, not at the seed. So, women and diverse investors investing in the Series A, B, C, you know, and beyond is super important, and that's a lot of the work Allraise is doing, which is helping enable diversity in funders and founders. And so those diverse funders can then write the checks and hopefully be a part of the board and help diversify the board. Another way is that as a board member, we're always thinking about who are independent board members who can join the board and be extremely helpful to the founder and to the business. And that's another thing my partners have coached me on, which is being supportive and value add to the founder by helping them identify who that independent could be. So for example, if you're an investor in a e-commerce business, maybe an amazing independent would be someone like the former CEO of J Crew or Neiman Marcus or someone who has seen retail growth and seen how that industry works who can come and bring that perspective on this new up and coming e-commerce brand, you know whatever it may be as an example. And so a lot more opportunities. The aperture gets a lot wider when you're looking beyond just investors who can join the board, but a whole number of executives and industry professionals and experts who could potentially become board candidates. And that's one thing that I spend time on, but need to spend even more time on, which is opening out my network of these professionals, executives, industry leaders who could potentially join some of my portfolio companies as independent board members. And so, for example, a few months ago, um, through Maveron, we hosted a dinner called Get On Board. And that was a dinner with, I would say, maybe 15 to 20 super senior women operators. So think like head of product at a big tech company or VP of marketing at a big tech company and brought these women together for dinner to talk with me and some of my other partners at Mavron and some other folks, uh, some of our founders also attended as to what companies are looking for in board members and how there could be an opportunity for some of these individuals to join the board as an independent board member. And it was a great conversation because a lot of these women are, you know, senior and thinking about how they can give back to different businesses and share their wealth of learning. And it's, a pretty opaque industry or process. And you know, if I was a super senior woman at Facebook, let's say, like I would not really know how to say, hey, like I have a really specific set of experiences and I've seen Facebook grow and I think I would be a great board member for XYZ company. Um, that 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 process is not really clear. And there's some great organizations that are doing a ton of work in that. I believe one is called the board list and we had the woman who runs that at the dinner as well. 
Um, but, but really matching these executives with the potential companies is something that VCs can do. And I think it is the responsibility of us as, as venture capital partners to develop our network so that we can pull the right people in at the right time for the right company. Because at the end of the day, it comes down to fit. And so you're going to need a number of candidates who can you know, run that board dating process to see who becomes the right fit on, on both sides. But that's a way to really, I think, diversify the board a lot. Regarding younger potential candidates, so either junior VCs or operators, what skill do you think they should develop now? And how do you think they should approach their early career to end up on a board someday? So I think for junior folks in operating roles right now, continuing to really hone your craft and learn a ton about the business and how it's growing in the space you're in is really important in order to grow in that role and then later become become a potential independent board member. So by that, I mean, let's say you are in people operations at a series B startup and you're, you know, junior level associate in people operations, paying really close attention to how that company is growing. How are they thinking about organizational design? How are they hiring You know, are they hiring a marketing person and a salesperson separately? Is that person smooshed into one role? Really understanding that nitty gritty detail and sucking that all in and understanding what worked, what, done, what didn't work and building on that knowledge base is super, super valuable. So as you grow from, let's say, a people ops associate to a senior associate and you know, whatever that role looks like, when you get to that VP of people or let's say you're the head of HR you are sitting on this deep, deep, deep foundation of knowledge. And so when a startup comes to you and says, hey, you know, we're thinking about hiring our first marketing person and we think that they're going to handle sales and marketing, you can say, oh, no, no, no. I saw this you know, four years ago. And based on the nature of your company, based on the product you're selling, you need to have that role be two separate roles even at this stage. And that kind of knowledge is so valuable and can change the course of a business and really help founders save money and get the right people at the right time, which at the end of the day can help make or break a business. So I think for junior operators, learn that stuff. Maybe you journal it and write down notes if you have a goal of eventually being a board member so that you can share that wealth of knowledge over time with startups who then you know go back to where you were four or five years ago. For... Junior VCs, the number one thing to do is to talk to your partners and see if there's an opportunity for you to officially join a board as an observer. Or even if you can't officially join the board, can you come to the board meetings? And a lot of people do this where there's no official observer seat, but a more junior person can come and they can come, let's say, just to take notes and listen and absorb, or maybe they come to participate a little bit. But being involved with the portfolio companies and being in those board settings allows one to see how these boards work and to start developing that pattern recognition around how one can be a good, valuable board member. So that's the first thing I would say. After that, in terms of skill set, this is going to sound a, a bit fuzzy, but as I continue to evolve into a board member and a good board member and hopefully one day a great board member part of that is understanding my role on the board and my supporting or you know plus one or co-pilot or backseat backseat person or whatever you want to call it to the 
CEO. And that involves kind of developing this platform of influence. And that's the term that uh, my partner Dan uses, which is how can you become that trusted person who, you know, who, who, who the founder feels comfortable calling and sharing and having as a consigliere or confidant? And how do you, how do you grow into that? And that I think takes time, takes experience and takes practice. And that's what I'm working on. But that skill set is a bit fuzzy. It's not like something where I'd say, you know, go learn everything about marketing or go learn everything about how to raise a growth round. All these things are helpful, but oftentimes you may not directly tell the CEO, like, I think if you do these three things, the company will grow. It may be more that you say, I've done my research. I think you should talk to these three people. I think you should look at the growth of this other company and how they did it. And then let's regroup and let me ask some questions. It's more about navigating like navigating it like that than directly saying, here's what I think you should do. Because frankly, you may not know exactly what is the right answer. But it's more about, can you surround the founder with the right resources and ask the right questions to pull the right answer out of the founder? Because deep down, it's probably in them because they're the one with the vision, they're the one working on the company, and they're the one seeing the company take baby steps every single day. You know, as MBA students, we highly believe in the case method. And so we were wondering if you had an opinion about a board we should study. So in your opinion, what's currently the best performing board in the world and why? I think what would be an interesting exercise would be to look at the best performing companies in the world and dissect their boards and see if there are any commonalities. I'm sure all of the boards have a certain level of dysfunction and challenge in them, but there's probably a theme or a couple themes that you can uncover uh, between all the boards and, and maybe even put together certain bullets. Like the, you know, we studied the world's 10 best performing companies and dissected their boards. And these are the 10 things that stood out. And I would love to read that, frankly, for my <laughs> own companies. <laughs> If you were a founder today and presumably in consumer, just because that's what you work in now, who would you want on your board? I don't know if I have like a super definitive answer, but I will name a few folks who I have either interacted with on a, in a board setting or been on a board with. And I think they're excellent. One is Mike Smith who is the CFO and has been the COO at Stitch Fix. He is absolutely incredible. And as you can imagine, being a part of Stitch Fix from the early days, now a publicly traded company, and that too, running finance and operations. I mean, he just understands the inside, outside, nuts and bolts of consumer commerce, businesses, but Stitch Fix is also a data business and it's also an engineering business. And so I think he, he, he is just an incredible board member and I've seen him in action and I've seen how thoughtful he is and how he just has real life examples that can be very helpful to the company. So I'd, I'd pick him. You know, I, I, have, a, I have a lot of respect for um, people like Jess Lee and Sarah Tavel who uh, are you know, incredible operators turned investors. And I think who have a level of empathy for the founders because they've kind of been in the weeds, been there, done that, but also bring 
a very strong investor lens from a very strong firm. And having people like that on my board, I think, would both allow me to have people who have got my back and care and are empathetic, but also who are unafraid to push me to greatness and unafraid to challenge me and ask me, what about this? And are we, are we going hard enough? Are we going fast enough? So those are the, those are the names that, that came to mind. Um, and the last name is uh, Jeff Crow from Norwest. Again, I've seen him in action as a board member and think that he has a ton of experience and has seen a lot, uh, especially in consumer, and does a fantastic job asking questions, uh, pushing for how the founder and the company can be better, while also you know, being very generous in, in sharing experience and opinion that can, that can be used to guide, guide the founder and the gu- guide the early company. So those are my people. Well, Nargia, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to chat with us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you found some wisdom and knowledge that you can apply during your next board meeting or more broadly in your business journey. If you like this conversation, please share it with your friends and colleagues and write a review on iTunes to help others discover the show. To find more episodes of the Boards Network podcast, go to boardsnetwork.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Boards Network for the show, at Philippe Nissen, and at Justine Huang 34 for our personal accounts.